welcome to Wobblies and Wizards. I am your host, Logar the Barbarian. And this is Light, the Light Finger Thief. So, Logar, I've been accumulating a lot of treasure recently, and I think I got enough stash to build my own own little place, I think. Yeah, hide it in the basement. Yeah, I was going to put a dungeon in there. <laughs> a big old dungeon, right? A big old dungeon. <laughs> my basement, I, I like to call it a dungeon. It's very dungeon-esque. It's got the old, uh, the old wood grain paneling walls, and then it's got the little nooks, like the little rooms that are like concrete behind yep. it that are kind of <laughs> hidden in there. It's pretty cool that you got that little secret storage area in the back behind the bar and stuff, you know. So yeah, there's a few there's a few little secret storage areas that kind of flush into the wall. You can't really see the doors unless you're looking for them. Hidden, hiding all my treasure back there in my <laughs> in my stronghold. Exactly. So I wanted to talk about strongholds today. We've been talking about retainers, and this kind of goes into it. These are the as you're adventuring, especially when you're using an older AD and D system or something like that spending your gold and, and using your gold has a lot to do with advancement level advancement and stuff like that so pulling in strongholds and retainers and things like that kind of going hand to hand well, number one you have to hire people to help build your stronghold or you can go invade and steal one <laughs> well yeah that's the way we've always done it uh most strongholds i've had in game i've used less of the rules than are actually provided in some of the books we're going to look at today it has been kind of we've conquered this area this is now our place <laughs> defeat a baddie or some kind of creature that has inhabited or a ghost and clear it out and then take over that place yeah because uh in earlier games like you were saying when you collect a lot of gold you got to spend it to get the experience points so what do you spend it on well, if you get enough gold, you can spend on building a stronghold. I want to just look first at one game, which is Swords and Wizardry. And mostly because it has the least amount of rules for building a stronghold. I like to start little and then add things as needed. So the stronghold rules in Swords and Wizardry just gives you a basic cost of simple things like a castle wall, towers, tower squares, drawbridge bastions <laughs> gatehouse gates dirt ramparts all those there's only a few things here that it doesn't even mention drawbridge it's just a few basics it doesn't give you a lot for the pricings and stuff like that it does kind of give you a run out of all the character classes at some ability at some level to establish a stronghold so a lot of times establishing a stronghold is based on what class you are according to the rules how much you adhere to that rule or not in your game is up to you and how you play the game. <laughs> but in the old school, the AD&D, there were certain levels you'd start to establish a stronghold. Yeah, so you had to hit a certain mid to high level, usually past you know level 9 or 10 to be able to start getting enough experience and money to build a stronghold. But as you mentioned, strongholds is a generic term because it varies by class. You know, You might be a wizard and you want a wizard's tower. Or you might want a fighter and have a traditional stronghold castle. Or a thief might be building a thief guild. Or a cleric might be building more of a church. So, again, the stronghold term that we're using is a little bit more catch-all. And is very dependent on class. Now, the rule cyclopedia kind of goes into a lot of more depth there with those class. I want to point out that in here, in Swords and Wizardry, there's, they give you, a, so I'm going to, I guess I'll just read it straight from the book. In general, a strong leader who clears out an area with a radius of 10 miles or so will end up in charge of between two and eight, which is 2d4, small settlements. 
The peasants in these hamlets, cots, and villes will be overjoyed to find themselves under the protection of a powerful and renowned protector. Unless your character is a tyrannical overlord in the service of chaos. <laughs> Each settlement holds roughly 1d4 times 100 villagers. And the normal feudal tax is 10 gold piece per year per villager. So the region that you've cleared or dominated, they kind of give you this way to roll up how many different villages and whatnot are under your fiefdom, we'll call it, how many people in each one and how much is going to be 10 gold each for tax that you're going to gain through taxing the people that you are overlording over. So that's that's kind of the crux of what's given in the Swords and Wizardry book. Now that 10% came up again in the Old School Essentials book, but the Old School Essentials gave us a lot more to work with for strongholds than the than the Swords and Wizardry did. It didn't give us as much as, as the old uh, Rule Cyclopedia gives us. That seems to be the most in-depth. The Rule Cyclopedia is the one that I reference along with the uh, Strongholds and Followers, uh, which is a separate book done off of Kickstarter. Um, now, now, obviously, OSE is based off of uh, BX, which is you know similar to the Rule Cyclopedia. And um, I like the level of detail they go into, so it goes a lot more in-depth, a little bit taking to the next level beyond the swords and wizardry one and going to more level of detail of like the retainers you may have within your stronghold and what type of retainers they do go into a lot more on some of the costs of building different stuff as well too so it just fleshes out in a little bit more detail i think you know they're all compatible with each other i think at the end of the day my preference is often to go with something that's streamlined and stripped down and then mod like like as they say, the games are modular and mo like take the different portions and apply them as I'm want as I want to use them. So starting off base and then being like, okay, I like this, I like this, and adding on. So if you're running any number of games, you can easily grab the rules cyclopedia and use the same exact ideas, costs, and everything else, and limitations, rules that you want to pour in from there into most games that you're running. It's an easy way to do it, and it depends on how much paperwork and upkeep you want to do while you're doing your strongholds too like do you want to sit here and figure out every dime and all the costs a lot of people are going to sit there uh i know that pathfinder i'm not gonna go into the pathfinder one today but i know that pathfinder has the ultimate campaign book which really goes into serious depth with a lot of that stuff more so than i think even the rule cyclopedia does yeah and i think when you start building a stronghold there's different ways of integrating that into your adventure as well too so you can use a stronghold as just as a uh, repository of your treasure and a crash pad which is what we did in one of our campaigns where we would drop off a treasure and send people back however you can play the whole stronghold as a campaign with politics where you have to defend your stronghold um you know defend your people deal with the politics of the local you know barons or fiefdom or kingdoms so it can turn into a whole new um, different style of campaign by itself. You know, there's warfare, mass warfare rules that can be incorporated in when you have a stronghold as well, too. So it's a totally different style of campaign um, than just dungeon crawling. You've, uh, you know, become the leader of a, of a realm. So now you got to deal with all the challenges and troubles of that realm. There's a game I've heard about. which is I don't know if I would call it a role playing game. Are you familiar with the board game or the game Diplomacy? Uh, I'm not. No. Apparently, it's the the function of the game is you're supposed to make diplomatic relations with others, and it's kind of like chess or something where people play it over like long periods of time or risk. 
I'd be curious to, to, to really go into a game of diplomacy on its own and learn how to play it and how that functions. And then apply some of that to a higher level D and D campaign where you have things like strongholds and different people vying for different political, uh, you know, land and conflicts and things like that and getting into that political style campaign. When I say political style campaign, I mean the actual like conflicts of those nations and who's vying for what and trade and stuff like that. That would be an interesting thing to pull off. I've, I haven't played diplomacy. I'm just assuming that things like that can be applied to game once you've kind of dabbled with it with a group. <laughs> well, it's similar to the uh, game that you'd mentioned the other day around microscoping kingdom. Yes. For example, where, you know, you had mentioned it would be interesting for us to do a session of Microscope or Kingdom to write out the actual timeline or history and then play it as, as RPG once we mapped out the major, you know, historical points in the, within that timeline of Kingdom or within Microscope. I 100%, if I can find an open night to do the <laughs> game, I 100% have been wanting to do that with Osric slash AD&D for a long time. I would love to DM that game. <laughs> If yeah, I find the night, I'm gonna like put out an open call for people to come play some AD and D Osric, and we'll start. I would start with that. We'll start with microscope or kingdom, yeah, and build the world together, and then work from there. I would definitely do a few things to throw in some larger modules in the overall thing, and then and then work from the lore and have the characters all the players already invested in it. That would be great. I think we're getting yeah. a little off the track of the. No, sorry. <laughs> no, that's all good. I think that's what we're here to do. Just talk about games in general. <laughs> we promise we will always get off track of the main focus. <laughs> I want to go over the strongholds real quick in the old school essentials book. OSE is the big thing right now. It's what people are using and people really appreciate the way it's laid out. And it's, it's only a few pages. There's some stuff in the referees tome as well. So what I'm looking at first is the rules tome of the classic fantasy old school essentials classic fantasy i believe the rules are almost the same in the advanced fantasy players guide but i did not like sit there and check word to word it looked similar when i flipped through it so i didn't bring that over <laughs> but the referees tome has a few things to add from the advanced fantasy so we'll look at the old school essentials classic fantasy and when pcs wish to construct strongholds or or any type of building, the following procedure should be used. One, permission. Maybe necessary <laughs> to secure permission to build from an existing authority over the land. This may not be required if the land is uncharted wilderness. Clear the land. If the construction site is in the wilderness, all monsters in the six-mile area, one hex on a typical small-scale wilderness map, must be killed or driven off. Three, design. The player creates a plan for the stronghold and calculates the cost. See the construction prices. Overleaf. Review. The referee should, plan, should review and approve the player's plans, and then you have to hire engineers. It's 100,000 gold piece cost of the stronghold. Wow. That's, that's a bit of cash. To hire one engineer. That's just one engineer. That's not, and that's in the specialist. We go back to the specialist and we have to look and see what other people you would have to hire as well. Then the actual construction, they're saying the price here is 500 gold piece. On a, one day of the game time is 500 gold piece for construction. So however long it's going to take to construct every day, you're going to have to have the 500 gold. Then prepare for settlers. Uh, it gives you an overview of building in towns, the costs, the cost for stone buildings. Reduced by 60%, reduce, uh, wooden buildings reduced by 80%. Uh, 
Then it goes into domain management. So he talks about the taxation, which is pretty much the same as the Swords and Wizardry. It doesn't give me, I don't see the nice little uh, roll this many settlements, roll this many people for settlement that's in Swords and Wizardry, but it does give the 10 gold piece of tax for, for each settler. Uh, you could easily port that little formula to figure out the settlements into old school essentials. And then it gives you a description of the different structures. So the logistics of building it itself. So when people are drawing it out, the dungeon master and the players can look here and kind of calculate how much it would cost to build what the players are constructing in their, you know, sketches and all. Yep. It gives you cost of castle walls and everything else, uh, the dimensions and the cost in gold. Now, the actual referee's tome takes a different approach to strongholds. And it seems it's less about a stronghold you're building than ones you're running into. So it gives you rules on rulers, how to, how to figure out who the rulers are of the area, how they're going to react to the actual players and whatnot. So the rules on strongholds in the referee's tome is less about players building strongholds and kind of gears itself more towards the dungeon master creating certain strongholds and whatnot for NPCs to encounter. Right. So again, there's different styles of gaming, right? A lot of times when you're lower level, you stumble upon someone's castle or someone's fight them as you're higher level. So you can look, start building your own. So it runs the full gamut. And I think both add flavor and such to the game because, you know, it's low level characters. How many times have we stormed, stormed a castle or stronghold? <laughs> yeah. Now, the other thing, too, is if you're just wanting to, if you're DMing, sometimes the fun of the DMing is going through these books and reading and preparing game and you get into the, and just using the stronghold rules kind of to estimate and create your own little regions for dungeon mastering. You can always tackle that way without having to force your players into doing it. Who does the, the logistics as well of doing it? Um, when you're doling this stuff out in games, there's somebody who wants to keep track of the numbers and do the, the layout, what what each player wants from the stronghold, et cetera, et cetera, things you'd probably have to figure out at your table. Yeah, you would. I mean, I think uh, when we had the People's Castle back in our Republic campaign, we all, you know, sketched out an area, the stronghold or castle area that we would like. So since we all had different player classes in the game, we all carved out a little, you know, unique area for ourselves, for, you know, the druid, for the magic user, for the cleric, for the thief. Now, I checked out the Osric book, and oddly enough, it has very little for strongholds, but it has a lot for hirelings in it. And I was kind of expecting it more considering how it fleshes some stuff out. The hirelings and henchmen, I would say that going with, I would say that Osric is good for doing the hiring, hirelings and henchmen for when it comes to people you have to have attending to your stronghold and stuff is a great resource to look at. But I think the best one for strongholds overall right now that I'm seeing is, as you brought up, the rules cyclopedia. It has a lot of interesting things that it throws in there, a lot of wrenches into the works. It lists out most of the base yep. classes and their relationship to building a stronghold. Like you said, with clerics, what kind of a stronghold is a cleric going to actually build? Probably some type of temple or church <laughs> to their god, right? Yeah, and here... So according to the rules in here is that you want to check uh, on the other hand, the player has done a good, no, let's see, go back earlier. Um, decide whether the player has done a good job at playing the character properly. If the character has been punished by his clerical <laughs> order or by his immortal patron, 
because of severe alignment changes, the cleric's order will not become involved with the construction of the stronghold. If the cleric's order is involved with the construction of the stronghold, they pay for 50% of it. And as we talked earlier, some of those costs get pretty high. <laughs> yep, depending on what you want to build. So having some assistance from your major, whatever, church organization would be also good. Yeah, you want to go to the church and get their help in doing this. If you're building your stronghold as a, as a cleric would be helpful. You might be on your own, though, depending on how you played. So the murder hobos who lost <laughs> the <laughs> guess what? You're on your own. You're on your own. You just set up your own little branch of your main religion. That's all. Now, demi-humans, and of course, with, with uh, Rule Cyclopedia, it's race as class. So if you're playing a dwarf or a halfling or an elf, this would probably include you. But demi-humans, they get up to 40%, uh, up to 50% of the cost. So here's a, the character does not have the money to build the stronghold. The family will loan up to 50% of the cost to the character. So the character's clan or their family, the demi-humans family will. Otherwise, uh, new support stronghold transferring up to 40% of the clan to the new clan. So once, if you build a larger stronghold, it says, up to 40% of the clan will come to that larger stronghold to help and assist and to live there and help populate it. Yep. And I can see that, you know, for like a dwarven stronghold or for halfling at the Shire, you know, building your whole underground halfling complex like Bilbo Baggins has in The Hobbit. <laughs> yeah. Now what we're looking at here is my question is how many, how many dwarves are in your, in your, in your campaign if you build a dwarven stronghold. So these strongholds may be a little bit of a mix if you have other people in it and you're all wanting to kind of aim at the same stronghold together. Because you got the cleric stronghold, the demi-human stronghold. Druids do not build strongholds, nor do they employ mercenaries or hire no. civilian employees. No, the druids are probably have a little forest um, retreat, let's say, <laughs> versus yeah. the tradition that was stronghold. It says that druids do establish a sort of authority over their surroundings that other name level characters do. Local rulers ignore the presence of druids, pretending they don't exist, and druids normally confine their demonstrations of authority to people who abuse and wantonly destroy forests protected by the druid. So the druid is kind of adopting nature in a land in an area. Right. Correct. As opposed to building a stronghold. So if you really want to get to a stronghold, Druid is not the class to choose. <laughs> no, but for example, if you're a bard, maybe you want to build a theater because, you know, as a high level bard, you're going to be performing. So building a theater might be your goal. Or if you're a pirate, maybe getting your own pirate ship. That's your stronghold. Yeah. Um, I don't think we have a pirate class in this, but no, that's something to look at. I know that I have the... Um, Oh, what is it? The the sword is it called the Sword Coast? Yeah, Sword have, Coast. Is that the one that, that Frog God had put out and they have like a player's books and a bunch of other extensions for it? Um, that's Razor Coast. I think Razor, Razor Coast, Coast is the Razor one Coast is, is Frog God. Sword Coast is the traditional D D TSR. Okay. One. Yeah, so the I got a bunch of the Razor Coast stuff. I don't think I have any of the Sword Coast stuff that I remember. Unless it's like in old modules or something. But I can't yeah, remember. I have some old Sorcos BX modules from the uh, TSR days. But, you know, point being is, for example, in our current campaign, we've established ourselves and have a couple, you know, ships or boats. That's why I was like, hey, we could get our own roaming, you know, pirate, pirate ravaging, <laughs> pillaging, <Yeah>. rogue, <laughs> you know, group of bandits on the sea. So, <laughs> I mean, that would be a great, that would be a fun campaign. It's one that, 
we're gonna eventually play this. <laughs> I've got yes. a lot of I've got a lot of pirate stuff. Um, I have that. Oh, what's the other one that that Green Ronin put out? Freeport is it? Is that the I one? don't have that one. There's there's one. It's a massive city uh, complex, and there's a huge book for it. It's just one big pirate city, and I think that's called Freeport. I'd have to double check. They had a few different editions out for third edition and Pathfinder. I think there may be some fifth edition stuff out for. It. I'm not 100 sure. It was put out by Green Ronin, I believe, and it's got. Okay. I've used the city in some adventures in the past. I'm trying to remember if I've used it in any that you played in or not. I can't recall, but I've used it for a general pirate city. Right. Uh, in fact, I remember we had quite a few adventures in that city at one point in time. But there's a lot of good stuff in those books for doing pirate type sea campaigns that we could. Yep. Do. Now, getting back to these into. Yeah. The- Rule encyclopedia <laughs> for stronghold for strongholds. We can talk about sea sea adventures in a different podcast. Our pirate sea stronghold will yeah. be another one. I had a lot to say on that for something I had made up. I'll tell you about later. We'll have to yeah. do that. <laughs> but anyways, from a stronghold standpoint, yeah, you know, you, you can have your barbarian um enclave or camp. Your monk can have like a monastery of some sort. So again, there are a lot of different options for strongholds, no matter if you're playing BX or advanced or you know other systems so i want to go on about some of the restrictions and differences between strongholds real quick that i'm pulling out of here sure magic users as we said do more of a wizard's tower and right i'm sure you have some liberties in what you you've imagined a wizard's tower could be so you can have some fun with that i know that there's a one adventure we ran into they had a giant floating ship as we're going back to the ship thing like a a giant air balloon ship that was sort of a wizard's tower that was fun and this, though, when magic users reach the ninth level or greater, so your ninth level or greater when you start building a wizard's tower, local ruler is normally ensues the local ruler. Uh, I'm getting tongue tied. <laughs> <laughs> the local ruler. <laughs> the local ruler normally ensues a proclamation. This proclamation makes it clear that the ruler's subjects are not to interfere with the magic user or the tower. The magic user does not have to seek permission or win approval of local authorities. High-level magic users are notoriously independent, and rulers seldom dare to make enemies of them. Well, it's a it's a it's a wizard who's gonna mess with a ninth-level nice wizard. <laughs> yeah, and my question is: so they're saying that the local ruler makes a proclamation, but then they're saying they don't have to seek authority of a local ruler. So is it that they just tell the local ruler that they're gonna do it? Yes, but proclamation like don't mess with them, or we'll all get killed by a powerful wizard Is yeah what's but happening there or something else i mean we've seen like you know the burning of the witches so i guess if it gets that bad the local populace could rise up against the wizard or witch so i guess it depends on the local culture right if they respect yeah. the wizards and it's a good wizard they're probably okay with it but you know they're suspicious of magic i don't think that it's gonna be that easy to raise a stronghold or a wizard's tower if the character so it goes on it covers mystics and thieves which i don't i don't know should we go too far into the mystics and thieves thief reaches ninth level as well so the mystics are ninth level the thieves are ninth level the magic users it seems that most classes are hitting ninth level to start building a stronghold and within the old the osr systems yes yeah and that's older style so ninth level is going to take you a while to get to before you can build that stronghold it's not something you'll be doing off the bat when you come into this you've done most everything you've, like, done, you've done a, a lot, lot of crawl you probably have a lot of treasure build up and you have a lot of magic items and people know who you are i mean within the realm 
yeah at that point you should be a hero or a villain that with some notoriety more than likely i'm sure depending on the story that you're playing you could have done all these things in another realm or another place and you're settling here with your gold nobody knows you but in general you're probably going to be known and wealthy from all your traveling and adventures yep by the time you reach ninth I know that even at like fourth and fifth, you start to get quite a collection of gold you need to be spending down. Yep. It goes on to the independent strongholds. If a character has been denied permission to build a stronghold, owning to failure to meet his ruler's requirements, he has a couple of options. Bidding his time or settling in the wilderness are two that are given. So I think a lot of this is just covering the the social dynamics of the power structures at play and trying to get permission and or a place whether you can legally call yours. So kind of maneuvering whatever property norms exist in a feudal system or whatever fantasy economy that you exist in. Yep. The norms of property change throughout history. So who knows how you could you could really switch it up if you want to, or you can just kind of go to looking up old feudal systems uh, right a, a lot of times we tend to use a more capitalistic modern monetary and uh economic system when we're playing the game i think that's because of what we're used to doing and it sure. doesn't take as much thought but a lot of times the game kind of defaults to that stuff no you know i was flipping through the uh, 5e book and the dm's guide on what they had on strongholds and 5e the official releases don't have much on strongholds it's very general in terms of you need to go buy a land and then have construction costs so they have real general overviews of you know how much does it cost to build like an abbey how much time does it take to build the abbey so if you're looking for something that's quick and fast you know that might be a good reference just to check the 5e out there's also a supplement that was released for 5e strongholds and followers that goes into a lot more level of detail that i think is a good you know pairing with the recyclopedia well i'm gonna go back into this rule cyclopedia because there's a lot more pages we've oh, yeah. begun to get to. There, 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 there's like a whole, a whole chapter in the Recyclopedia. Yeah, it's a pretty decent sized chapter on strongholds in here. It's probably one of the best things I've found yet. As it goes on, he first kind of defines who's building, what they're building, how they have to get permission and stuff like that. Then you move over to the stronghold plans. This is a good section to read. This would be, if you have a copy of the Rule Cyclopedia, it's on page 136. This is a good section to read because it breaks down not just the construction and the time, but things that would be constructed, uh, battlements, the different building stones, building with wood, doors, interiors, the corridors, floors. I mean, it, it has a, it has a, uh, like what, moats, unfilled moat, the types of roofs, <laughs> towers and trap doors, walls, barbican. Uh, arrow slits, all, all sorts of nuances of putting together your castle. There's also the castles guide, the old blue, the second edition blue castles guide, which I didn't bring out here, which might be worth looking at when you're starting to put something together. They go into way more detail in that book than a lot of other books on castles. It's one of my favorites that I use. I, I've used it quite often where I'm getting ready to go into a castle. I pull out the old second edition castles guide and start thinking about how I'm going to present this. And sometimes I just yank the castles out of the back because they're generic castle there. They're that pre-built. I can use. Yeah. I think there's, um, there's a lot of different supplements out there depending on how much 
detail and depth you want to go into for each of these. Um, but Roots Encyclopedia, I think we would be the one out of first reference. And then after that, Strongholds and Followers. Strongholds and Followers is the book that you have, correct? That's the yeah. one that you backed. And I don't have a copy of that to flip through. I don't know if those, I think that may have been one of those things where they just printed it and you got it from the Kickstarter and they're not going to yeah. be in print. I just got the PDF. So, you know, I think the PDF is probably still out for sale. Um, but again, that one just goes into more details by class um, and then has a section, you know, on followers as well as an example adventure of, you know, dealing with some issues <laughs> that you might have on your land. So it's one of those that, again, I would start with the Rusecopedia and then, you know, flesh out from there. So on page 139 in the rules cyclopedia, we have uh, after the stronghold is built. And I think that after the stronghold is built should probably be maybe an episode on its own and follow some of that and talk about yep. some of the upkeep and stuff, because we're coming up on 30 minutes now. And that's, that's kind of where we're trying to keep the time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I feel like we've scratched the surface, but there's still a lot more that we can go into. Yeah. I think we've got an idea of, of establishing strongholds and, and by level. And of course your campaign, you don't have to stick with those AD and D rules. If it has to be ninth level to do this, whatever works for your game works for your game. Now, sometimes following those rules are helpful because there is a reason they were thrown at like a ninth level. Do you need new different challenges? Cause you're pretty powerful. You can fight big horrible things that come to level the city you might be protecting the city from something larger and more powerful like godzilla i don't know some right. kind of monster destroy <laughs> a everything kai, a kaiju's coming kaiju's coming <laughs> um at that point they're gonna take it on by your bare hands with you and your venturing party something that massive the dragon's coming to destroy the town new, new adventures keeping your town protected but but yeah so we'll talk about once the stronghold is uh, is already established and look at some of those rules in a future adventure or a, a future adventure. Yep. This isn't a game. This is to talk about game <laughs> on a future episode. And a future episode of our podcast. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, you can find us at wobbliesandwizards.com. You can follow us on Facebook. Just look up Wobblies and Wizards. Do the like and the follow because I think they're two different things. A like isn't necessarily going to be a follow and not going to show up in your timeline. So give it a little follow there. You can find me on Twitter at Logar Crom, and keep those dice rolling. May you roll good reaction rolls for your retainers and your builders. <laughs>